Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Sorry about the late upload. This is going up on a Thursday. Honestly, I don't really know what my schedule is going to be like for these uploads. I'm hoping that I can stay consistent on here and on Instagram. I was doing really well before the end of the term. Had a really busy winter break as far as family and Christmas and just traveling a lot. So I got a little bit out of my routine. And now it's seeming like this course, or I guess this term, is going to be very, very heavy in terms of workload for me and school. But either way, I'm going to do my best to balance it. I'm going to do my best to get out these podcast episodes, do my best to you know still be posting somewhat consistently over on Murphy's League on Instagram. But today's episode... The NFL playoffs are here. The regular season is over. I'm going to be covering every single game from Wild Card Weekend, giving some predictions for you guys. I'm going to be giving my score predictions, some key factors in all those matchups. And then I'm also going to be talking about some head coaching vacancies in the NFL. Going to be starting with the head coaching vacancies and then moving into the Wild Card rounds. As always, there will be timestamps located down below. So if you just want to skip to one of those segments, feel free to do so. And without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so first things first, coaching vacancies in the NFL. Let's start with the expected ones. First off, Arthur Smith. I mean, he was gone no matter what uh, and probably should have been gone a lot earlier. I've been calling for his firing for it feels like a couple months now. I get that it's tough to win in this league with back, bad quarterback play, excuse me, but he really didn't do himself much favors either. Atlanta hit on a lot of free agents this offseason and seemed to have great personnel around the quarterback position. Obviously, they've heavily invested in the receiving core in their skill position unit, and they just didn't seem to use some of those guys in the way that they should be. Cal Pitts, Bijan Robinson, the two top names that really stick out in terms of just pure usage. I mean, if you just look at the number of touches those guys are getting, it's really inexplicable how little they're being used in this offense. I expect that to change now that Arthur Smith is gone. And again, Arthur just really couldn't capitalize against a very weak NFC South that definitely went into this decision as well. Um, it wasn't just the Saints game, this that last game of the week either, which they absolutely got blown out. It, <laughs> I will say, it was closer than it seemed. They really pulled away at the end of the game there. But win or lose that game, Arthur Smith was probably still going to be fired after all. Um, and they really just had some inexcusable losses this year, obviously highlighted by the 9-6 to loss versus Carolina, giving Carolina their first win of the season, if I'm not mistaken. They also got torched by Will Levis in his coming out party, four touchdowns in that game. They got torched by Josh Dobbs when he was literally in the team facility for less than a week. So again, just not really excusable, pretty inexplicable losses there. And then also losing to Kyler Murray in his first game back. Uh, that one's a little more fluky because, of course, you know, he's on the bench. He's still the guy there, and he's still absorbing a lot of information. But either way, you would expect to have to knock off some rust in your first game back from an ACL tear. He looked like the old Kyler Murray in that game. And again, at the time of that W, the Cardinals were looking like a bottom feeder team in the NFL. Of course, we now mourn more about that, and Kyler, you know, really has been making a case that he should still be the guy there in Arizona. But either way, Arthur Smith, no surprise there that he's gone. Makes absolute sense to me. The next guy I'm not very surprised with at all, and I don't think many other people should be either. Bill Belichick, uh, mutually parting ways, was really just a PR move. That was really just a way to, you know, 
save his dignity and his pride. I, it was a formal firing. I'm almost certain of it. But he really did this to himself, and he still has something left as a coach. I will say that. But his decisions personnel-wise are outdated. They need to change with the times. He's way too focused on the defensive side of the football it's shown in his draft strategy the past couple of years, not prioritizing the right guys, not only in free agency, but in the draft as well. You know, you need to fix things like the offensive line, like the offensive weapons. Obviously, Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones have not been great, but a lot of that is due to what is around them. You know, quarterback can only do so much with the given, you know, components around them. Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones have some of the worst components in the entire league as far as offensive line and offensive weapons. Um, I think you could certainly make an argument that those two combined, it is the absolute worst in the league. And of course, he still has a lot left in the tank as far as coaching. Um, I, it sounds like he wants to stay coaching at the NFL level, but just give up all that other shit. Don't worry about making personnel decisions. It clearly has not been doing him well these past few years. And again, his motives as far as that side they're outdated. He's working behind the clock now. Um, he needs to progress with the times. He needs to address more skill position players. He needs to address the offensive line. It's an increasingly offensive league, and he just really hasn't changed with the times. But the real question really becomes, where does he end up? You know, does he end up somewhere in LA? That's I think that's the odds-on favorite right as of right now. I should have double-checked that, but I imagine that's the odds-on favorite. Um, I think it would make some sense, especially you know if he came on as a defensive coordinator and not necessarily the head coach. But even if he was the head coach, if you still have Kellen Moore calling plays, and then you got Bill Belichick fixing up that defense, which has been you know hit or miss. You know they've had some moments there, especially you know pass rushing unit. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack are really the highlights there, but. Secondary-wise and defending the run, they've had some serious struggles in years past. Belichick could seriously help that side of the football. I think a team that not a lot of people are talking about that would make a lot of sense to me is actually Seattle. And I get that you're going from one older coach to another. And Pete Carroll, you know, and a guy similar to Belichick where at this point in his career, it just feels like the league is kind of trending in a different direction from his strengths. But Bill Belichick, you know, Coming in as a defensive mind and fixing up this defense, which has been very subpar the past few seasons, and it's not like they don't have anyone there. They have some decent personnel on the defensive side of the ball. I think Bobby Wagner and Bill Belichick would just make for an absolute picture-perfect pairing. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think about that take. That might be a little too far-fetched, but I could really see it working out. Either way, it doesn't really make sense to keep Bill Belichick around now that the Patriots are more than likely going through a rebuild. I mean, they have the third overall pick in the draft for a reason. And I'm really excited to see where, you know, he ends up. And I'm also very excited to see who takes his reins because obviously they're going to have very large shoes to fill. A lot of people consider him to be the best coach of all time. I am one of those people. So going to be really interest, interesting to see who ends up in New England, where he ends up next. And again, not very surprising. Just the way the team was trending, the way that he's been trending, not surprised that he's no longer a New England Patriot. And again, Pete Carroll, let's transition because I, I just spent a little bit of time about him. Sorry if you can hear that outside my window. That is a bus. Quite loud. Either way, very similar to Bill Belichick in the way that in this point in his career, again, just feels like the Seahawks and him himself are trending in different directions. They're a very young team. Um, more offensive oriented. They've been killing it as far as personnel decisions. They've been drafting extremely well, signing some good free agents, but he's known for his defensive prowess. And again, this defense has been mediocre at best for the past few seasons. They've had some bright spots. They've had some moments, but as far as consistent 
you know, elite defensive play. It just simply has not been there for the Seahawks. Either way, I'm glad that he's likely going to stay with the Seahawks in some capacity. It's very obvious that this locker room, this team, this culture, the owner of the team, it's very obvious they really, really like him. And I'm glad he's going to be sticking around because he deserves it. And I hope, you know, he has a good end to his career there in Seattle. Up next, Mike Vrabel. This one made no sense to me at all. Uh, this was the least explainable one to me because he wasn't even beginning the beginning of the problem there in Tennessee. They've made some terrible personnel decisions, and Vrabel is really being used as a scapegoat by the owners, it seems. Um, he will be hired very quickly, and whoever is hiring him will get a great head coach. I know that Tennessee has had some problems, but again, I just – I find it very hard to blame him for some of these problems. Um, I know their secondary has been a serious issue and they've had serious, you know, um, problems defending the past, but he's not making personnel decisions back there. And simply, simply put their personnel is just not good. They have a really good defensive line. That really is the identity of this team. And he built that himself. He coached those guys up. He did a fantastic job with them. And again, Former Patriot, I really, really like Mike Vrabel as a coach. I think he was one of the better head coaches in the league. And again, it feels like he's just being used as a scapegoat here. I seriously think Tennessee is going to regret this decision. I think a team is going to be very happy that Mike Vrabel is on the open market and they're going to be able to hire him because I still think he has a lot left to prove. I still think he's a great head coach. And again, you give him the right team, he can make the absolute most out of it. Tennessee has made some seriously bad decisions as far as trading guys, not paying the right people, you know, Kevin Byard, AJ Brown, to name a few. Now Derrick Henry is more than likely walking this offseason. It's just not very good management, and I don't think this is um, a coaching problem in Tennessee. So doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me that Mike Vrabel is gone. Feels like he's being used as a scapegoat, and he deserves better. Some team is going to be very happy to hire him. Up next, Ron Rivera. Um, again, back to like the Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick thing. This is not really surprising. Again, it's not really his fault. And this could be a kind of a scapegoat thing as well, because Washington is not a very functional organization, but now their focus is going to be entirely shifted towards a rebuild. Uh, you know, hopefully they bolster their offensive line. Maybe they end up drafting the replacement for Sam Howell. Not sure if they end up going in that direction. Seems like a lot of people think they will end up doing that. Um, I'm not entirely sold that Sam Howell isn't the guy because I think, again, one of these situations where the components around the quarterback were just awful, especially the offensive line was really not looking good. So if they do draft a quarterback, I'm not necessarily going to be surprised. Again, this is an older coach. He's very established in this league. I don't think, you know, someone like that is who you want to be leading a rebuild of this, uh, a much younger team. Uh, you know, they're going to have a lot of turnover in this roster. They obviously traded a few key components during the season, already signifying that they're going to be going into a rebuild. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't fired earlier, just so you can see what you have in your some of your interim head coaching opportunities. But either way, Ron Rivera being gone, um, I like him as a player. Obviously won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears all the way back in 1985. Shout out him. But not surprised at all that he's ended up, you know, no longer being the head coach of the Washington Commanders. Up next, this isn't a head coach, but I have to bring it up as a Bears fan because I'm very stoked about this one. Luke Getze is gone. The bad man is gone. Thank God. I mean, honestly, I really didn't mind some of the creative plays themselves. Like the actual plays weren't that bad. I like the way we used fields, especially after the first month of the season. And then obviously he had a little bit of an injury there. Uh, but when he came back, you know, there were some moments that looked really, really good there for fields. He was 
making the most of his opportunities. They were using him in creative plays or creative ways, excuse me, in the run game. They were getting him out on those naked bootlegs a lot, really buying into his athleticism and his strengths. I like a lot of the actual plays, but the situational play calling was simply awful. I mean, I think the best example of this was the last play of the Bears season. They threw a screen pass on third and 22. So that's really just telling of the season as a whole. Situationally, it was just simply not good enough, not you know making the cut. And I think you can find creative coaches. You can find coaches that can scheme up good plays, but it's when you call them. That's what really separates the good from the great. And again, I'm not even sure Luke Getze was necessarily good. Um, I think his situational play calling was bad enough that it made him bad to average. Um, and that's, you know, being nice, but either way, very, very glad he has gone. Very glad we're moving in a different direction. Um, it's interesting that they're keeping on to Eberflus, but I do get the idea of, you don't want that much turnover in one off season. You know, if you're going to end up moving on from Justin in particular, then that's just a whole lot of moving components and it would end up making it for a much longer rebuild. If you move on from your OC, your head coach and your quarterback on one off season, that is a whole lot of turnover to deal with. I'm, you know, it's looking like they're going to end up staying with Justin, staying with Matt Eberflus. I don't entirely hate that, especially because after Montez Sweat got there and Eberflus started calling the defense, um, you know, a couple weeks before he did get there, this defense looked drastically better. Um, They were playing very well. He was obviously the defensive play caller. And it seems like the locker rooms really bought into him and his culture. So, I understand it from that standpoint. I understand it from you don't want as much turnover. You want this team to buy into the culture. You want to give it some time. You know, example of this is Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell started his career in Detroit, not doing too well, but the locker room loved him. The media loved him. They ended up staying patient with him. And now they're NFC North champions, you know, making a push in the playoffs. So that's the model. That's what you want to follow. You want to find a guy that, you know, Maybe he doesn't have the best start to his career. And I, I'm pretty sure Eberflus's start was even worse than Dan Campbell's. But my point is, they stayed patient and ended up paying off. I think the Bears are looking to do something similar here. It seems like the locker room um, really likes Justin and Eberflus. Luke Getze, glad he's gone because someone's got to take the blame. And I do think a lot of it, I don't think this is a scapegoat situation. I do think a lot of the blame is you know, rightfully put on Getze in this situation. And I'm very glad as a Bears fan that he is gone. But let's get into the next segment. Let's start previewing these games for the wild card weekend. Really excited. A lot of really awesome matchups. And let's get into it. Okay, first things first. Let's talk about the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Wow, this has a chance of being one of the coldest games in the history of the NFL. Uh, I saw something today on Twitter that it might be up to negative 30 degrees, which is just ridiculous. That is like dangerously cold. So I expect a lot of running the ball, probably going to be windy in those conditions as well. Miami has quietly been one of the best run offenses in the league in terms of yards per carry. However, they're middle in the pack of usage. They really don't tend to run the ball too much. That's not surprising just given what their offensive scheme is, but You can also make the argument maybe they're so good at running the ball, they're so effective when they do run the ball because they face such light boxes because of how dynamic their passing offense is. There's definitely an argument to be made there, but the numbers don't lie. I mean, as a whole, they they are really good in terms of yards per carry. When they do choose to run the ball, they're very effective at it, and I expect that to be a very, very you know prominent part of their offensive game plan in this game. 
On the Chiefs side of the ball, if we're looking at the run game, because, again, I expect both offenses to be running the ball very heavily in this one. The Chiefs run the ball at the eighth lowest rate in the league. They're 13th in yards per carry, so around the middle of the pack in terms of yards per carry. Somewhat surprisingly, Miami is actually very good in terms of yards per game or rushing yards per game against. Um, they're seventh in the league, and I know that they've had a lot of injuries, so maybe some of those numbers are a little bit inflated because guys like Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips, and now Andrew Van Ginkle are all done for the year. Um, so again, maybe some of those numbers are inflated, but you can also – there's still an argument to be made there. It's still worth bringing up. And Kansas City is all the way down at 18th in terms of yards per rush uh, – or rushing yards per game, excuse me um, – allowed that is so again that's one of kansas city's bigger weaknesses could miami find a way to exploit that weakness um you know judging by the way kansas city has really looked especially in the last you know couple months of the season they haven't particularly looked impressive you know you can make an argument why can't the dolphins go into kansas city and upset them my argument for that not being the case is simply because I'm just not going to count out Kansas City, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid. I feel like I've said it a million times, but it's still applicable. Um, until I see it, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to believe it. I just think they're going to find a way to win this one. Um, they're just too experienced. They've done it too many times playing at home. And yes, it's going to be freezing, but that crowd, guarantee you, they're still going to be into that game. They're still going to be playing a factor in that one. Going into Arrowhead, especially in January, is extremely hard. One of the toughest places in the entire league to win a football game. So I've got the Chiefs in a really low scoring affair. I've got them winning 13 to 10. Up next, let's go to the Steelers at the Bills. Yeah, this one might get ugly. Another pretty ugly weather game, not nearly as bad as Kansas City. They're in the 30 degrees, not negative 30 degrees, but TJ Watt already ruled out for the Steelers. That sucks. That's just a bummer because he really is such a difference maker in this one. You know, a couple years ago when the Steelers snuck into the playoffs as a seven seed and they ended up playing the Chiefs, TJ Watt was a huge reason why they were even able remotely to keep up with the Chiefs in that game. So bummer that he's not going to be playing in this one. I think the key factor if the Chargers, I almost said Chargers, I don't know why. If the Steelers have any chance of winning this one, it would really be because either Najee or Jalen Warren or both of them, I guess, have career days along the ground and, you know, they just control the clock, control the tempo. And then, of course, it would help if Josh Allen has one of those reckless Josh Allen games, possibly throws, you know, a couple picks in that one. But I also think a very big X factor in this one, Keanu Benton. He's really come on at the end of the year here. I was very, very high on him coming out of the draft. If you don't know, he's a rookie out of Wisconsin, plays nose tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, plays a little bit of everything, honestly. But he's an interior defensive lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's really come on as of late. If he can have a big game in this one and impact Josh Allen immediately and quickly, kind of throw off his game, get him off his rhythm, maybe slow down the run um, and, you know, penetrate consistently to get to James Cook, they might have a chance in this one. But, I mean, I really just don't see a world where that happens. Um, I want to stay faithful. You know, I want to believe in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want this game to be competitive just as a, span, a fan of the sport, excuse me. But I think both run games lead the way in this one again. I think James Cook has a very, very healthy dosage in this one. Um, I think Josh Allen just does what he can to take care of the football, take what's given there. If he just plays mistake-free, they're just a more talented team. They're just a better team right now. I think Mason Rudolph, turnover-free streak, snaps in this one. Um, not much, that much of a bold prediction, really, because you know you expect that to happen eventually. And again, going into Buffalo, especially in January, 
really, really tough ask without your best player, one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, I've got Bills 24, Steelers 13. Up next, let's go Browns at Texans. No matter what happens in this game, I'm so happy for the Houston Texans and their fans. Um, having a home playoff game, winning their division uh, with your first-year head coach, your first-year quarterback, your first-year OC, the future is very, very bright in Houston. Um, and again, I don't expect them to win this game. Just spoiler alert, I'm going to say that right now. I think this is how the story ends. Cleveland, they're a great team, plain and simple. Um, as great as CJ has been all year, I just think this Cleveland defense is going to be too much. I think they're going to overwhelm him. I think they're really going to focus on taking away Nico Collins because a lot of their other receivers were out last week. Even if they're going to be back in this one, Robert Woods, Noah Brown, a couple of names that were out last week, even if they're back in this one, you know, those guys do not have the impact on a football game like a guy like Nico Collins. Nico Collins has been fantastic all season long. I think that's really going to be the emphasis of the Cleveland Browns. And again, even if those guys are back, who's to say they're going to be 100% healthy in this one? So I think the inexperience is a big factor in this one as well. Joe Flacco, been there, done that. You know, one of the most winningest quarterbacks in wildcard history, which is pretty pretty crazy stat. Um, and again, hopefully for CJ's sake, he gets some of his guys back. They keep it competitive. They keep it close. And it's really cool that they even have the opportunity to host a home playoff game. But I think Cleveland... Their defense is just too good. They're going to travel really well. This run game has been consistent all year long. Joe Flacco, you know, leading the league in a bunch of different passing categories as far um, since he's become a starter. You know, first in passing touchdowns, first in completion, first in attempts. They're really going to trust him. They clearly do trust him. Uh, he has a lot of really good chemistry with guys like Amari Cooper. Um, they just played a couple weeks ago. We saw how that one went on. Amari Cooper went crazy in that game. Um, you know, I don't expect that to happen again. You know, 260 plus yards is not going to happen. But either way, um, I just think this feels like the Browns are just the more talented team. Kevin Stefanski is doing a great job, should seriously be considered for coach of the year for all the adversity they've gotten over this year. As far as losing their franchise quarterback, well, we'll see if he's their franchise quarterback, but losing Deshaun Watson, losing Nick Chubb and still being in the position they're in. A lot of credit to them. But again, I'm so happy for the Texans, no matter what happens in this game. Again, I, I, it sounds like I'm I'm pretty clearly taking the Browns in this one, but more than successful season for the Houston Texans. They absolutely exceeded mine and many other expectations. A lot of credit to those guys, and it's been really impressive to watch. But nevertheless, I've got the Browns 24, Houston 17. Up next, Packers at Cowboys. God damn it. The Pack are back. I can't believe it. The first year without Aaron Rodgers. They're back in the playoffs. As a Bears fan, this fucking sucks. Not only is the first year without Aaron Rodgers they're making the playoffs, but they're literally, literally, you can look this up, they're the youngest team on average in the league. So, you know, kind of telling that they're going to be able to do it time and time again. That's just not fun. Can't believe that. Um, Bears had an opportunity to go into their place, knock them out of the playoffs. They don't capitalize. Typical Bears, when they get my hopes up, they always let me down. Um, I said it on my Instagram. If you follow me there, you know I kind of half saw this coming where I thought the Bears were being overhyped a little. I think anytime the media really buys into the Bears, they tend to let us down. And now the Packers are back in the playoffs. But luckily for me, as a Bears fan, they're facing an entirely different beast in Dallas. Not only are they facing Dallas, they're going into Dallas. Dallas is by far and away statistically the best team at home this season. Um, they're undefeated at home. They're also 
plus 12.9 on average against the spread, which is the best in the league by a mile. It's not even close. It's like six points. It's like a, basically a whole touchdown ahead of the next closest team, which I believe was Miami. And I, I really think the inexperience of the Packers shows up in this one. Dallas continues their home tear and continues to prove that they are serious contenders in the NFC. Possibly, you know, the other team opposite San Francisco in the NFC championship game. Um, I'll probably make an episode after this one, after the wildcard weekend, um, predicting the entire playoff picture. But, you know, we'll go one one game at a time for now. Either way, not too much to say here. Uh, credit Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff. They've done an incredible job with the first-year starter, first-year full-time starter in Jordan Love. And again, a lot of really, really young players. The, the fact that they're even in the position that they're in now and they made the wild card uh, their first year after their Hall of Fame quarterback left is impressive enough. It's telling enough. Um, it, it was more than a successful season for the Green Bay Packers, but they're running into a buzzsaw here in the Dallas Cowboys. Give me Dallas 30-17. to 17. Up next, we got... Rams at Lions. This is fucking awesome. This is what the playoffs are all about. This is so dope to me. The Rams, one of the hottest teams in the league in the back, let's say third of the season. I would say back half, but Matthew Stafford was dealing with some injuries there. Once he did come back, oops, sorry about that. Once he did come back from injury, though, they've been playing fantastic. Their offense has been firing. This game could be very high scoring. Both offenses are top 10 in points per game and yards per game. Um, either way, just the storyline as a whole, to go back to that, is just so fucking cool. Matthew Stafford obviously spending a decade in Detroit before going to L.A., you know, being traded with Jared Goff. Obviously a swap in quarterbacks, two first-round picks involved in that because the Rams had to get out of the Jared Goff contract one way or another. Um, he obviously took them to a Super Bowl before and couldn't get it done. The Rams took the risk, traded for Stafford, and ended up paying off in the biggest way possible by them winning it all. And then, of course, down season for the Rams, and now they are back in the playoffs facing the Detroit Lions, who are looking to snap their 32-year drought of playoff wins, their first time winning the division in 30 years. It's just there's so many storylines going on here. Obviously, Jared Goff is going to be very emotional about this one. He's openly spoken about the chip on his shoulder and how he's going to be approaching this game. I can only imagine the type of emotions he'd be feeling. And again, Stafford's going to be emotional too. This is the team that drafted him. This is the team that he stayed loyal to for a very long time until he basically couldn't anymore. And then you know, going to his new team the first year winning a Super Bowl, now facing his former team in the building that he was never able to host a home playoff game himself. He was never able to win a playoff game for this team. It's just a really, really interesting storyline as a whole. As a story, I mean, it, it's the best game of the weekend, in my opinion. Um, I'm really, really excited to see this one. The Lions have been excellent at home all year long. They're 6-2. and two. The Rams have been average on the road. They're 5-4. and four, But I think the Rams are going to do it. I think they're going to make some noise. I think they're going to upset the Lions in this one. It just feels like they're trending in the right direction. I think their veteran presence really pulls through in this one. The Lions, you know, they've never been in a situation like this. Their fucking franchise hasn't been in a situation like this in over 30 years. I think the inexperience is just too much for them. The Rams been there, done that. They've won on the road in the playoffs before to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're getting to the Super Bowl again, but I am saying they're going to do it again. They're. I'm not. Wait, what am I trying to say? I'm not saying they're going to make the Super Bowl. I'm saying that they're going to win on the road again in the playoffs. That experience is really going to be the difference maker in this one. Give me the Rams 27-23. And I will say that's probably the pick I'm feeling least confident in. But hey, 
Got to have one upset in here. <laughs> Up next, Eagles at Bucks. Uh, really not too much to talk about here because these teams are just what sticks out about these teams. You know, not much. Um, I don't know how much the Bucks even deserve to make the playoffs, but here we are, 9-8 and eight team. I guess they do have a winning record, so I'll give them that. It's not like the Eagles a couple years ago where they made it at whatever it was, like 8-9-1 and one or whatever the fuck. 8-1, eight and, eight, eight and one, I think that's what it was. Either way, neither of these teams are particularly impressive in any given category. I just haven't liked what I've seen from either one of these teams. The Eagles have been on an absolute downward spiral the past, you know, over month of the year. I've said this before, but you would think the Eagles can figure something out. Um, until I see it, I won't believe it. You know, that you could totally make the argument, why can't Tampa beat the Eagles right now? That's just a totally valid situation and assessment of the situation, I should say, because the Eagles really haven't shown us much. They've lost to a lot of really bad teams, you know, lost to teams at home, on the road, all things included. Now they're going on the road in Tampa. Again, Tampa not particularly impressive in any given category. Baker Mayfield doing the most he can to keep that job. Um, he got a big incentive for making the playoffs, so congratulations to him. But either way, I'm just going to trust the veteran experience of the Eagles. I think they figured just enough out. I think this is going to be a pretty ugly game. Might see a few turnovers in this one. I don't think either team looks particularly impressive. I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a low-scoring affair. Give me the Eagles 20-17. to 17. Now, that's going to be it for me, guys. I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode than usual. Like I said earlier in my intro, I'm very, very busy with schoolwork. This is going to be a pretty gnarly term for me, but I'm going to do my best to stay somewhat consistent on this podcast. Hopefully, weekly uploads will still be happening. Uh, no promises in that regard, but maybe if that doesn't end up happening, I'll get more active over on Instagram. Either way, I hope you guys did enjoy the episode. If you did, be sure to share this with your friends and family, wherever you're listening, Apple Music, Spotify, follow me on there. Would really, really appreciate it. Also, follow me over on Instagram, at Murphy's League. It's the same handle. Again, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you turning in. And yeah, I guess that's going to be it for me, guys. Hope you have a great one and peace out.